Sidewalk Audio presents Shadow Magic, a podcast novel by John Lenahan, read by the author. Chapter 14, The Reedlands. I could see the border of the Feelylands a mile away. The sights of green in the distance made us all quicken our pace. I couldn't wait to be among living, breathing plants again. I fantasized about galloping straight into the forest. Thank God I didn't. As we approached, I saw the woods were sealed off by a tall, dark hedge. Huge blackthorn trees stretched as far as the eye could see, and these weren't the kind of thorns that gave you inconvenient scratches. One look at the forearm-length, needle-sharp thorns was enough to make me realize we were not getting into the forest from here. I remembered once seeing razor wire on top of a fence at an airport. It was barbed wire with razor blades stuck in it. I thought it was the nastiest barrier I had ever seen. Not anymore. My God, Fergal said. Don't tell me we're going in there. That is where we're going, Essa said, but not through there. Is that the feely lands? Yes, Essa said. Una sealed it off with blackthorns after the feely war. Do we have to go around, or can we hack our way through? I said. You'd be dead before your sword touched them. They can fire those thorns. Well, how about if I ask nicely? Go ahead, she said with a knowing smile that I didn't like. I dismounted. I'd gotten pretty good at getting on and off acorn. I wasn't Robin Hood or anything, but I didn't look like a giraffe on an escalator anymore. As I approached the blackthorns, I could hear the wood creaking as they pointed their very sharp thorns at me. I instantly felt this was a bad idea, but I found one place where I could reach through the thorns and touch a branch. Before I could say a thing, a command shot straight into my brain. You have until the count of ten to back off or go away. The plant told me. But my mom's in there, I said, realizing how pathetic that sounded. Five. But three. Two. I backed off fast. These bushes were not one for negotiation. I looked up and saw my three companions smiling at me. I straightened my shirt and regained a little composure. Uh, he said that he would let me go through, but not you guys, so I thought I might as well stay with the group. How nice of you, Essa said. We traveled north along the thorn wall. On the other side of the spikes, we could hear the sounds of life, birds chirping and an occasional running deer. When a breeze came from the east, we were blessed with fresh plant-cleansed air that was scented with wildflowers. It made me hate this living barbed wire fence even more. I fell in next to Fergal, who was quieter than usual. I asked him what was bothering him. It was the way Lorcan said Banshee, he said. Hell, it's the way everyone feels about Banshees, like we're scum. Why is that? I don't know. I was raised by imps, remember? I guess it's because people are afraid of us. Banshees are the undertakers in the land, and nobody likes death. More than that, it seems they can sense death approach. So every time someone sees a banshee, they think they're going to die. 
Can you do that? Sometimes I think I can, but I never learned all of that banshee magic stuff. I can see how it would make you guys seem a bit spooky, I said. It's also what makes us, them, such good warriors. Banshee armies can sense if an enemy will die. They almost know if they will win battles before they begin. So banshees are warriors, I asked. That's their primary goal, to defend the western shore from invasion. Men of war always make people nervous in peacetime, I said. I guess. Well, I like your Fergal, no matter what anybody says. That brought a smile that seemed to bring him out of his funk. He babbled on for the rest of the afternoon. I almost regretted cheering him up. We camped that night still in the Hazellands. We were all exhausted. We had been teased all day with the promise of life, but were doomed to be stuck in this land of death. Tomorrow we would reach Natal, the Reedlands. No matter how bad it was there, it had to be better than this. We went to sleep without much chat in the hopes of a better tomorrow. I dreamt I crested a hill and I saw an army of banshees. When they spotted me, they all pointed as if to say, You soon will die. I ran to escape, but everywhere I turned, blackthorn trees sprouted and blocked my path. Eventually, I was encased by a blackthorn cage surrounded by screaming banshees. The huge thorns closed in on me. I awoke with a scream in my throat. We smelled the reedlands before we saw them. Just one whiff of sulfur and decay dashed any hopes of our landscape getting any better. Our only consolation was that we were just going to nip the reedlands. The plan was to enter it just enough to find an opening to the feely lands. But this was not to be. When we got to the border, all we found was swamp. Murky water choked with black vegetation that bubbled with a smell so bad it put rotten eggs to shame. It was like a disease, and you could see in places where it started encroaching the hazel lands. There was no way we could walk in that stuff, let alone the horses, so we followed the unholy border west in hopes of finding some sort of a path. This meant that, inevitably, we would have to trek through a large part of this foul place. After 15 minutes, the swamp gave way to reed-covered bogs. It was still too soft to travel through, but it was an improvement. At least it smelled a bit better. Ten minutes later, Essa called a stop. What is it? I asked. Someone has been here, she said in a low voice that made me look over my shoulder. She pointed to tracks that I could hardly make out. We followed them until they turned into the reedlands. The footing was dry and solid where the trail led. We enter here, Essa said. Be careful. I don't think we will be alone in there. The life in the reedlands made me miss the desolation of the hazellands. If this was life, it was a corruption of it. Plants of tan and black grew in odd shapes without the symmetry that nature usually provides. The land, Tirnanog, had struck me as being so wholesome. This place was the opposite. It was 
just plain wrong. Instinctively, we traveled as quietly as we could. We didn't want to meet anyone that would choose to live in a place like this. And I didn't like the look of the vegetation. I didn't trust it. A snake slithered across my path. I grabbed on tight to the pummel of my saddle. I don't know much about riding, but I'd watched a lot of cowboy movies, and I knew that horses freak when they see a snake. Surprisingly, Acorn took no notice. Everyone else did. What was that? came a girly cry from a raft that made me laugh. What's the matter, I said. Haven't you ever seen a snake before? That's impossible, Essa said. There are no snakes in the land. Well, it looks to me like there are now. I don't like this place, Fergal said. I was just about to make some sarcastic quip to Fergal about the obviousness of his statement. Then I saw his face. This place was really stressing him out. None of us do, Fergal, I said. We'll be out of here soon. I hope that that wasn't a lie. The path here was easier to follow and obviously well used. Fergal took the lead, anxious to get this stretch over with. He was a good three lengths ahead of us when he reached a stretch of the path that was black instead of brown. As soon as his horse's foot touched it, the black surface seemed to lift off of the ground. The path had been covered with flies. Fergal was instantly surrounded by a swarm of black insects. He flailed his arms and kicked his horse into a gallop, trying to outrun them. We sped after him. It was a terrifying sight. Fergal tried to keep his mount in control while swatting uselessly at his own personal black cloud. It must have been maddening. The sound of incessant buzzing from those oversized bugs was loud from behind. Where Fergal was, it must have been deafening. The road ahead forked. We needed to go right if we wanted to get to the border of the Feely Lands, but Fergal and his panic kept going straight. We followed, not daring to shout. Fergal's breakneck speed was finally working. The swarm was diminishing. The flies couldn't keep up. When his vision cleared, Fergal slowed to a halt. I was quite impressed by the fact that during the whole ordeal he had never shouted out. It didn't make any difference, though. They had seen us. Fergal and the rest of us were in plain view of a major camp of banshees. A handful of them were standing around a small fire in front of about fifty tents. They were obviously surprised that the four of us would just gallop into view, but their confusion didn't last long. One of them let loose a scream, and not unlike the flies, the camp suddenly came alive. Hundreds of black-haired banshees poured out of their tents, all of them armed, many with bows. I'm not an expert or anything, I said as calmly as I could, but I think we should get the hell out of here. Good plan, Fergal said, and we all took off like four mice in a cat house. Luckily they were on foot or we would have been dead meat. As it was, they covered a lot of ground for guys who had just gotten out of bed. We pulled ahead of them, not as much as we would have liked. These guys were quick, as well as handy with the old bows and arrows. I've never been shot at with a gun, but I think I would prefer it to being the target of an archer. This was the third time this week someone had fired an arrow at me, and I knew it was going to produce nightmares. At least with a gun, you can't see the bullet come at you. 
arrows you see all the way until they either hit you or miss. It only takes a second, but it's the most frightening second in your life. The other problem is the relief you feel when one arrow misses you is short-lived because there are usually more arrows following. After seeing three shafts over my shoulder just narrowly miss me as I galloped full speed, I turned my attention straight ahead and just waited for one to plant itself in my back. We got to the fork where Fergal had taken the wrong route and went left. The banshees were out of bow range and falling behind, but we could see that they were not giving up. They let loose an ominous yell when we took the left fork. Essa slowed down. This path seems to be going in the right direction. If we can get to the feely lands, we can lose them in the forest. If, I said, can't we get a bit more positive here? I can't be sure that there's no blackthorn fence bordering the reed land, she said. It's just a guess. At the moment, it's very important that you get it right. Our pursuers were out of sight, but we could still hear them screaming periodically. On each side of the path was a deep, foul-smelling swamp. There was no turning off of this road. If the path ended in blackthorns, we were done for. I remembered the banshee's yell when we took this route, and I wondered if they knew something that we did not. We rode in silence, straining our eyes and trying not to let the others see how scared we were. We rounded a hill and saw it. The path led straight into... A wall of blackthorns. This is not a good thing, I said. Araf and Essa sped ahead. Fergal and I followed. You won't be too bad with that snap spell protecting you, Fergal said. It only works with relatives, I said without thinking. What? Me and my big mouth. Oh, what the hell? We'd probably be dead soon anyway. My mother told me that my protective spell only works with relatives. So, Fergal, I guess that means you and I are related somehow. I'm sorry I didn't tell you before, but I wanted to talk to my parents about it. So you and I are blood relatives? Fergal asked. I think so. Like cousins? Maybe. I never had a cousin, he said. Me neither. I'd like it, Connor, if you really were my cousin, he said, flashing me one of his famous Fergal smiles. Me too, I said. The closer we got, the worse it looked. These blackthorns were more menacing than the ones that bordered the hazel lands. Araf and Essa had dismounted by the time we caught up. This is... Not a good thing, I repeated. There are only two options, Araf said. We try to make it through the swamp, or we stand and fight. Fergal got down and went to the edge of the path. It was definitely not a pretty swamp. The water was black, choked with unhealthy-looking white roots and reeds, pale imitations of real vegetation. Fergal took a rope out of his pack and tied it around his waist and handed the other end to me. This is not a good thing, he said and smiled. I'll keep a good hold on this end, cousin. He didn't hesitate. He jumped right in. 
I thought it was the bravest thing I had ever seen. I had an instant vision of him disappearing under the black ooze and never being seen again. But the water only came up to his waist. The stench that wafted up from the disturbed water almost made me wretch. How Fergal didn't lose his lunch, I will never know. The footing on the bottom seems pretty solid, he shouted. If you can stand the smell, I think it might work. So my choice was fighting to almost certain death or going in there. It smelled so bad I was still leaning towards stand and fight when my mind was made up for me. All of the vines and roots in the water were converging on Fergal. Fergal, get out! I yelled. I didn't have to ask him twice. I think he could sense that something was wrong. He got to the bank before the vegetation took hold. The vines that had been creeping up on him seemed to realize that he was trying to escape. They wrapped around him with the speed of a striking snake. He was dragged back into the water with such force I was almost pulled out of my saddle. Araf and Essa ran to the edge of the swamp. Fergal went under. I wrapped the rope around the pommel of my saddle and told Acorn to pull. Sometimes Acorn gives me a hard time, but when the chips are down, I have no better friend. Acorn pulled and Fergal broke the surface with his banshee blade in his hand. He hacked and scrambled to the road, sputtering, sore, and stinky, but unharmed. I jumped off Acorn. Are you all right? He nodded back, trying to get his breath. I thought I lost you there, I said and hugged him. Boy, did he stink. Araf and Essa started digging a shallow gutter. For a moment, I wondered if it was our graves. They ripped buttons off their clothes and threw them into the trench. Do either of you have any gold? Essa asked. No, I said. My mother gave me an amulet, but I used it. I have some, Fergal said, getting to his feet. He took off his shirt and removed the gold wire that held his banshee blade in place and handed it to Essa. Her eyes lit up. Perfect! she exclaimed and kissed Fergal on the cheek. From the look on her face, you could tell that she instantly regretted it. Other than not dying, getting Fergal into a bath was our top priority. Essa and Araf stretched the gold wire along the trench. Essa dropped to one knee and encanted a spell that caused the gold to glow and then hum. She stood up, sighed. Then she and Araf covered the gold over with earth. This should take care of the arrows for a time, she said. And then what? I said, and instantly regretted it. We weren't going to make it through this. There has to be a way to get through those blackthorns, I said, drawing my sword. Araf was on me in a second. I'm always amazed how fast that imp can move. He took the sword out of my hand. Don't, he said. You would not last a heartbeat. Well, at least let me talk to them. Go ahead, but it will do no good. I've mentioned before, communicating with a tree is a wonderful experience. Most trees, that is. A conversation with a blackthorn is like trying to talk your way past a junkyard dog. It's just no good. The spikes bore down on me as I touched a branch. You have the count of ten before I run you through, the voice of the tree exploded in my head.
Ten. You've got to let me in, I pleaded. Nine. I'll buy you some plant food. Eight. We're going to die out here. Seven. Six. I have to see Deirdre. Five. Four. She's my mother. For a second, I could have sworn the countdown stopped. Then three. Two. I backed off. I didn't want to find out what happened after one. I have no doubt that that tree would have enjoyed perforating me. I turned back to the others, expecting to see them busying themselves with some sort of plan. But they were just standing there. The thorns won't let us pass, I said. What do we do now? After a long pause, Araf said, Surrender. What? We wait behind the arrow shield. When the banshees come into sight, we drop our weapons and put up our hands. I don't think they look like the prisoner-taking type, I said. What if they attack? There was another pause. This time, no one said anything. We stood in line, our eyes fixed on the rising path before us. I've always hated waiting, even if it was for something unpleasant, like getting a tooth drilled. I preferred to do it and get it over with. That was not the way I felt now. I had a feeling that getting it over with would be the end of me. I wanted these moments to last forever. And they were. Our pursuers were not hurrying to catch us. They knew that there was no place for us to go. I thought about my parents. A mother that I had only briefly known. And a father I was only now truly starting to understand. If only I could see them again. I had so many questions to ask. So much to say. I think Fergal must have seen my despair. He leaned into me and said, If you get killed, can I have your shoes? And then he flashed me a Fergal smile. Well, that was it. I tried to keep a straight face, but I matched Fergal's smile, and then my shoulders shook, and before we knew it, Fergal and I were bent over in hysterics. Araf kept his eyes straight, but even he was laughing. Essa was not amused. Stop it. We have no time for this, she said. This is exactly what we have time for, I said, while trying to get my composure back. Laughing is as good a way as any to spend your last minutes. How would you prefer to spend yours? She looked at me. Our eyes locked and her pupils dilated. At that moment, I read her mind, and I knew the answer to my question. I grabbed her by the shoulders and planted on her the kind of kiss you see in old black-and-white movies. As usual with women, my mind-reading was all wrong. She pushed me back and swung, not a slap like in the movies, a left hook that decked me. I looked up from the ground to see Essa standing over me with her banta-stick high in her hand and her eyes raging. We are not going to die, she said. I looked past her and saw the banshees crest the hill. Tell that to them, I said.
You have been listening to Shadow Magic, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. To hear more of their fabulous music, please visit their website, www.lunasa.ie. That's www.lunasa.ie. For more information about Shadow Magic or its author, please visit www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you very much for listening.